This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, the show that talks all things outdoors in Paul Bunyan Country, or as we like to call it, paradise. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. I'm Kev Jackson. Thanks for joining me today. A lot of great stuff coming up on this show. Later on, we're going to hear from Tara Hokup, who had quite the adventure on the beaches of Florida. Steve Sapaniak will step in as well. But right now, we're headed north to where a lot of people spend a lot of time early in the season. Rainy River. Bruce Jean of Rainy Lake Guiding is here. It's probably been a few months since we talked to our friend Bruce Jean from up in the Rainy Lake area of Rainy Lake Guiding. Bruce, welcome back. Thanks uh, for joining us. Great to hear your voice. Thanks, Kev. It's always good to chat with you. Well, you're in an area that is a very, very popular place to be this time of year. Uh, kind of set the tone for uh, that early season bite and how that came to be so popular. Boy, you know, it really is. And, and you know, you look at what the Birchdale, Transjevney, Frontier boat landings are like on Rainy River right now. And... Um, the, the amount of traffic that area is going to see in the near in the next couple of weeks, well, until uh, April 14th, I believe, is closure. Uh, it's it's going to be incredible, and the amount, and the fish catching is going to be awesome. Yep. Uh, yeah, and, and it's uh, it's something that people look forward to. I, I, you know, I've known the Peterson clan goes up there several times a year, certainly for that early bite. Uh, which has become a, a catch-and-release bite right now, but I don't think that matters. It's just getting in a boat and fishing, you know, like you, like you did several months ago. <laughs> you know, and it's amazing how many guys are out chiseling the boat landing so they can get their big boats in and, and you know, get the batteries charged up, get the bilge pump, make sure it's working, get everything ready to go, try out the boat, and in the meantime catch anywhere from 10 to 100 walleyes at it, you know. Uh, that early rainy river bite, you always have your best chance of catching that 10-pound plus, you know. And uh, just a few of the guys that have been out there, they've been putting some 28s in the boat. Um, the numbers are not as great as, as they will be, but uh, the bite is definitely there. The unfortunate part is if you're taking your big rigs up there, the water is about five, six feet lower than normal right now. So that much-needed rain that's coming in the future here is going to be welcoming in the Rainy River area for sure. So, Absolutely. So tell me about those big walleyes. Now, do you guys just have bigger walleyes up there, or is it just easier to catch them in the river this time of year? Yeah, good question. You know, Lake of the Woods is just a, a spawning ground uh, mecca. And, you know, they, they call Lake of the Woods at that it's all sand, it's all gravel, and all the Rainy River is the same. And it's basically unlimited spawning grounds for those big walleyes, big saugers that are going up into the river. So um, the reason why there's so much feed, shiners, there's so many bait fish around that it's it's like going to Old Country Buffet, Kev. I've seen you sit up belly up there for hours, and you don't <laughs> oh, yeah. have to go very far and <laughs> fill your belly, right? Right. So, so, but that's that's the part about, you know, Lake of the Woods and rainy river that that caused walleyes to get so large and there's not a lot of predators out there for the square miles of of water that's there so that's another reason why they get so big the other thing that is so popular on rainy lake rainy river and lake of the woods this particularly the early part of the year is the sturgeon bite the sturgeon season and that bruce has really really taken off in the last five to ten years 
you know, and, and the, the protection of the sturgeon and, you know, just having the slot size of 40 to 45 inches, having that slot of the sturgeon has been so crucial in um, keeping and growing that, those numbers, you know. Um, they close it during that, what, three, four-week time where it's, it's, it's where mamas need to get rid of their babies and, and they do a nice job of, you know, keeping the fishermen off that. But the amount of the, the catch rate that our guides are having for sturgeon fishing is second to none. I mean, we're, we're going out boating 10, 11, 12 sturgeon in a day here. And, you know, each sturgeon is anywhere from 45 minutes to it took us uh, an hour and a half to get a 73-incher in last. So um, there's, it, you're exhausted after a, a battle with one of those prehistoric dinos, that's for sure. So. so for the guys that have never gone sturgeon fishing, what do you need? I mean, do you need, it seems to me you'd need bigger and more stronger equipment than you would if you want to just go out and catch a walleye or two. Well, and, and that's that's the important part is having heavy-duty equipment so you're not going to exhaust the sturgeon. So, you know, we're, we're having anywhere from 30 to 60-pound braid. Um, we have the heavy-duty stuff. You use a big hook, and, you know, strength is important on that because you really need to yank them. Um, but and then a gob of worms, as you've probably seen in the Norwegian uh, handbook. So, but a lot of night crawlers, uh, a heavy sinker, and and the sinker should be uh, corresponding the amount of current that's out there. So if you have a high current, a lot of you're probably going to need a three four ounce sinker. If it's less, you know, have a smaller sinker so you're not overdoing that part of it. So, um, but having having that length that. Um, proper equipment is crucial in it. Now, um, when you cast your, your big sinker and your gobble worms and anywhere from a two-foot to a four-and-a-half, five-foot leader, some go a little bit longer depending on the current, but you need to have a tip that will talk to you. So the tip, rod tip, um, when you cast it out, tighten up your slack, put it somewhere where it's not going to be kicked in your boat, and open up the beverage of your choice. Kev, I don't know what you're after, <laughs> but probably a, a Coca-Cola or Pepsi, but with that said, um, keep an eye on that rod tip, and it'll talk to you when there's something on there, but it, it needs to be sensitive enough so you can see that, and that's the key to catching sturgeon on a rainy river. Uh, how much uh, how much time, How much do you have to play them? How hard do you hit it when it's time to go? Well, and, and that's another thing, is, is when do you set the hook, and generally if they're rolling your sinker, they have it, you know, so you have, let's say, anywhere from three to five night crawlers on one big hook, and once that once that a sturgeon goes by, once once that sturgeon goes by and sucks in that group, they're going to have the whole thing in their mouth. So, if you give it a good hook, that there, the odds are pretty good that you're going to have it. So, average battle lasts how long? Oh boy, uh, <laughs> you know, I would say a fifty-inch sturgeon is at least twenty minutes. Really? Uh, you know, we've had some that are a little bit longer. Well, like the last one was about an hour and a half, you know, and I know the guys in the boat were exhausted by the end of the guide trip, but then we've done our job as guides, that's for sure. So, yeah, they're a lot of fun. More with Bruce G. later on in the show, but up next, Tara Hoka joins us to talk about quite an adventure on the shores of Florida. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors.
Welcome back to Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Well, we're checking in with one of our good friends, woman, myth, and legend, Tara Hokuff, joining us today. Tara, welcome back. Hi, Kev. Always fun. So we got a fun story to, to hear from you in a little bit, but let's just get caught up with some of the other things you've been up to. Um, what else uh, have you been up to these days since the last time we talked? Well, unfortunately, we live in the Arctic North, so <laughs> it's a little bit slower season, but did some snowshoeing, um, helped my brother out with his business a little bit, renting ice houses out this winter, um, more or less looking forward to the spring, though, turkey season being right around the corner, and wild edible foraging, of course. Yeah, you uh, you, you get into that. Uh, so tell me about that season a little bit. When do we start finding those, and how do we make sure we get stuff that's not going to knock us over dead? Uh, the biggest recommendation I can give anybody is to go out with somebody who's trained. An actual guide is probably your best bet the first time because you can eat any mushroom once, <laughs> but if it's poison, <laughs> that'll be your last. So um, it's just not worth the risk. I buy some of the books that are specific to our area of the Midwest or Minnesota specific for identifying some of those mushrooms and things in the woods. But um, firsthand knowledge is the best way to go. And when in doubt, leave it be. All right. That, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Where do we find the uh, good mushrooms in our neck of the woods? Obviously in the woods. In the woods, <laughs> and no good mushroom hunter's ever going to give you their spots. <laughs> um, again, the guide's going to kind of give you an idea of the type of trees you want to look around or look on. Um, the The moisture in the soil makes a difference. How much sunlight it gets, which which way you know a bank facing a certain direction might grow more mushrooms than a certain you know the other direction. Um, but it's research. It's honestly a lot of research, um, and then getting out there and putting your feet on the ground and and exploring. Once you find them, you mark it, you pin it, and you don't ever tell anybody about it. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you get into it, and uh, and why do you like doing it? I got into the foraging side of things when I was working uh, with Matt Brewer in North Country Guide Service. He is really in-depth into all of that, and I love to learn, and I love taking food from Mother Earth, if you will, whether that be deer hunting, turkey hunting, or picking mushrooms. Anything that I can take from the field and put on my plate and feed my family, there's something exciting about that compared to, you know, running down to the local grocery store. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, How do you feel like they taste compared to other mushrooms? You have to like mushrooms. Yes. <laughs> um, it's not like your typical store-bought button mushrooms where they absorb the flavors that are in your dish. Most of these mushrooms have very distinct flavors, some more palatable than others. Um, but I have yet to find a mushroom eater that doesn't like the mushrooms we've had. So, Okay. And we got turkey hunting coming up, you mentioned as well. How long have you been involved in that? Gosh, that's probably, again, only been a few years, five, six years maybe, since I begged my first bird, but I've gone out every year since, and all but last year I was successful. I got I got skunked last year, <laughs> so we're hoping for a good spring. People really get into that. It's become very, very popular up here. Certainly the, uh, the population growth of turkeys helps it get popular, but people seem to really enjoy turkey hunting. What is it about turkey hunting you like? Um, Well, I like hunting in the spring. Typically, 
for large game, I was a deer hunter. That's typically in the fall for us here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's fun to have something to break out of that cabin fever and get out in a blind. Um, I do use a shelter when I turkey hunt. I know some people just like to go sit up and post somewhere, but it's it, it rejuvenates being out in the wilderness, if you will, and um, it it gives you a chance to also explore some of those things and prep for the deer hunting season. You know, you might find some new deer trails that came about over the winter time. but um, I think what's super exciting is just having that population of turkey up here. We didn't for the longest time, and now it seems like everybody's got a couple walking through their backyard up here. <laughs> That's a fact. I mean, you can pretty much see them anywhere. It's kind of like... Um um, you know, how eagles, you know, it used to be that you'd see an eagle up here and it was like, oh, wow, and you'd stop the car and watch it for like a half hour. And now it's like, oh, there's another eagle. And yep. it's kind of gotten that way with turkeys. When we saw them running down the road a few years ago, it was like, whoa. Now it's like, oh, there's another bunch of turkeys. Yeah, and you just hope they don't come through your windshield. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's true, too. Well, listen, the reason uh, I wanted to talk to you today specifically was I saw a pretty cool thing on Facebook. Uh, you and your family took a trip uh, down to Florida in March, correct? Yes, yep. And you caught a fish, and, you know, we we talk about muskies and we talk about sturgeon, but you caught a fish. So t- <laughs> tell us about this amazing adventure you had on the shores uh, of the ocean. Yeah, so it was exactly that, an amazing adventure, and I've told many people, I don't know how I'm going to top it, um, <laughs> but every year we're we're blessed enough to be able to spend some time down in the panhandle of Florida. My parents go down for a few months, and we spend time with them as a family, and we always fish from shore. And over over the years, we've caught all kinds of different species, drums and redfish and little sharks, <laughs> And this trip wasn't such a little shark. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it ended up being, um, we paced it off. We didn't have a measuring tape that long. Um, It was about seven feet. uh, Black tip reef shark is what ended up on the end of my line. So, okay. So you're fishing. Then what happened? You know, down there you kind of learn the cadence of the, the bop of the waves. And when it's not rhythmic, like the waves you've been watching, you kind of panic. <laughs> I um, I actually had just walked away to go put the girls to sleep up in the in the beach house, and my husband called and said, "Your rod is bopping. You better get back down here." <laughs> so I ran, and I ran faster than I've run in many years. <laughs> At the age of thirty-six, that was interesting. Um, but I got there, and it. If anybody's ever caught a sturgeon, it was very, very comparable to a sturgeon, where sometimes it feels like there's nothing on the line but pressure, um, and then all of a sudden it'll just take off, and it'll just peel line out from you for a while, and then you'll gain ground, and then it'll peel, and you'll gain more ground, and it's just a fun little battle back and forth. And so that's what you had going on, the difference being you're not sitting in a boat, you're standing on the shore in the sand. Yes. And how does that change things? Um, You have to give yourself room to essentially use your body as your resistance, too, because when it peels line, you don't want it to peel all the lines. You have to be able to move closer to the water or further from the water based on what you're doing. So it's a little foot play, too, I guess, with that, just to make sure you're you're staying on top of it. (laughs) And uh, how long did you play around with this shark? 
it felt like an eternity, uh, but when we looked at the clock from the time my husband called me and said my rod was bouncing to the time we released it back, it was maybe about a half hour, so probably 20 to, 20 to 30 minutes fight time. Now, so not terrible, considering <laughs> I'm only 5'4", <laughs> and it was 7 feet. When when you're fighting this thing, did you did you did you think? Yep, did, I mean, were you were you pretty accurate in how big it was, or were you surprised when you when you got it up on shore? I think we were all really surprised. Really, the way it moved and the way it did things, um, it could have been a shark, it could have been a stingray, it could have been a really large fish, or could have even been a smaller fish hung up on things, just like how we fish up here. Um, I don't think it was until we saw the size of the dorsal fin come out of the water that any of us really understood how big this fish was and what we were going to have to do. <laughs> wow. Biggest fish you've caught, I'm guessing. Oh, yes. Hands down. <laughs> um, like, you know, you, you've caught sturgeon, I'm presuming? Yes. So the body of a shark compared to a sturgeon, I mean, sturgeon's certain length, uh, does a shark weigh more or less than a sturgeon would of similar size? You know, that's a great question. There was no picking this bad boy up at all. <laughs> um, I would assume it'd be pretty similar. You know, the shark seemed to be more streamlined, um, but certainly they're both just giant muscles, basically, and I would say it'd probably be pretty comparable. Okay. So that's a great adventure, and when you're doing a vacation and, and fishing for exotic species you don't typically get, it's it's kind of fun, it's kind of different. But in general, uh, what do you prefer, up here or down there for fishing? Oh, apples and oranges, Kevin. Yeah, really? Okay. <laughs> um, fishing is fishing, and I love it, but I love the North Country. If I loved it down there, I'd probably move. It's fun. <laughs> It's fun to wet a line anywhere, and especially on the ocean, like you said, fish for something you've never seen before, let alone caught. Um, but there's something there's something about being up here. My heart's in the North Country. So what do you use for bait when you're going shark fishing? Small animals, or what, what do you use? <laughs> um, not such small bait. You would call it a fish up here, but uh, the local fish bait shops down there they sell whole fish. Bonitas is what one of the local uh, bait shops sold. But also you could use fish that you've caught. So my brother had actually caught a couple of fish the day before that one of them we weren't going to eat, so we used parts of that for bait. And um, that's actually what I caught mine on. So we had a mix of bonitas and one of the drums that we didn't eat as bait, and the shark liked mine. <laughs> You you mentioned when it came to mushrooming, you go out with somebody who knows a little something before you go out on your own. I'm assuming you probably had some guidance on shark fishing in the past before you just decided to do it on the shore by yourself. Yeah, So and even this time, it was certainly not by myself. There were four of us down there, and it's, it's 100% a team effort um, between my husband myself, my dad, and then my brother mainly. It's been a lot of research. Um, he, My brother and, well, especially Jace, he researched all the reasons we hadn't caught any big shark before or any big fish down there. And what we kind of determined was when these fish get on the line, if your cable leader isn't longer than the fish you're catching, especially with a shark, their tail will whip back and forth and actually cut your line. It's not their teeth, it's their tail. 
so this year and the last few years, last three years maybe, um, we came down with handmade 10-foot cable leaders so that we could avoid that problem. Um, so that's just one of the things through trial and error and all the research and and my family's effort as well. I just got to benefit from a lot of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what a great story and what a great adventure for you. Like you said, uh, yeah, you, it'll be a while before you top that one, I would think. Definitely. I don't think I'll be topping that one in the North Country. Might have to wait till <laughs> next Florida trip. <laughs> Well, Tara, before we wrap it up, I know you're also very involved in the Well-Armed Woman. For those who aren't familiar with that, uh, give us a rundown of what that is and uh, how someone can get involved if it, if it sounds interesting to them. Yeah, um, sure. The Well-Armed Woman is our local Bemidji chapter for education and experience using firearms. So it's open to anybody um, 18 and older. Uh, we focus on firearm-related stuff, but we also mix in different educational pieces. We did one training on packing a bug-out bag or an emergency kit, um, and we've had multiple guest speakers that come. So we meet once a month. Half of the time we meet is dedicated to education, and the other half dedicated to range time, so people get to actually fire their firearms and we just have a lot of fun and it's a whole mix of people we i think we have somebody in her 80s so there's no age limit on the top <laughs> end um and all experience levels from we don't have a gun or own a gun or to we competitively shoot in competitions so we're all just learning from each other and having fun doing it and leaving our men at home <laughs> <laughs> and about, about how many are involved in that you know, our chapter's only been around a little over two years, and we are almost to 50 women. So it has grown and grown every single month, which is fantastic. I know a lot of uh, the things you talk about involve uh, self-defense and, and taking care of yourself. Is there some sports shooting involved in this as well? It's a little bit of everything. Um, we haven't lined up any sport shooting competitions or things like that directly through our chapter yet we're still trying to get everybody on track with the safety and the basics and everything first but we did um one of our evenings we spent over the at the trap and ski club and we got to shoot over there which was super fun and i know united way has their fundraiser we've talked about putting a team together for that so things outside of our chapter meetings as a group we're looking at but yeah it's definitely a place for like-minded women to to plan some fun things. If uh, somebody's listening and says, I'd like to give this a try, how do they uh, get involved? Uh, we do have a Facebook page that's open to the public, and all the information's on there. It's T-W-A-W Bemidji M-N. So if you just search that, you'll you'll find us. Or they can look me up, and I'm linked to it, too, of course. All right. Well, Tara Hokuff, uh, thanks for taking the time today. Tara Hokuff is a great, I would call her a shark killer, but actually she, she put him back so she can battle him again next year. So. <laughs> Bigger and better next year. <laughs> All right. Tara, thanks for taking the time, telling us the story, and getting us caught up with what's going on in your world. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Kev. It's always fun. Great to hear from Tara Hokuff. Up next, Steve Sapaniak of Predator Guide Services in This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors.
This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Time to check in with Steve Sapaniak of Predator Guide Service. Steve, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us again this week. Oh, my pleasure, Kevin. It's, it's great to be with you guys and everything. I'm having a great time. I can't wait to get going talking about fishing coming up. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, last week we talked a little bit about the fact you were done with ice fishing. I think most people probably are. Big chunk of open water here in Lake Bemidji in Bemidji, Minnesota to this this week as I'm driving by. I can't imagine anybody's out there anymore. So now we're getting to the point where if we get this big warm-up this weekend, I think you know we could see most lakes wide open within two weeks. Uh, I think Lake Bemidji could be wide open by next week, for example. So the question is, uh, when the water opens up and it's really early, what are you going to be doing? Oh, that's a great question, Kevin. You know, when it opens up and everything, it's really, really like this. We're going to see a lot of the different species of fish going early and moving quicker. I'm going to be out pan fishing. I'm going to enjoy some good pan fishing before the season gets going underway. And I want to get my fair share and fill of uh, sunnies and crappies. So panfish is the first thing on my agenda. And then I'm going to be uh, thinking about what kind of seasonal pattern the species of fish are going to be in. I have a funny feeling we're going to be talking about fish instead of opening weekend in the shallows. They're going to be at the end of the spring mode, let's say, uh, probably looking at the end of the spring seasonal pattern. So it's going to be interesting, to say the least. Yeah, that's the thing people will have to really be on top of is being not just assuming and going to where I always go on opening Saturday, uh, but being aware of what exactly is going on under the water. Right, exactly. Um, you know, opening weekend usually finds us with the uh, walleyes and stuff in the shallow water, especially on the big pond, Malax Lake. We're catching walleyes, Kevin, in anywhere from 8 feet to 12, 14 feet of water. I have a funny feeling we're going to be looking at 14 feet, Kevin, heading way over to 20 feet. You know, uh, they're going to be moving way out there, and it's going to make things pretty interesting, especially as a fishing guide. You know, you're going to have to adjust accordingly real quick. Absolutely. I mean, you can take those guys out early and you want to get them walleyes, uh, you better know where they're going to be. Um, and it, it, it could impact, you know, some of the later uh, fish as well. It could impact, impact where the bass are when bass over comes. And it could even impact muskies to some degree when muskie season opens, depending on how it all plays out here. Oh, most definitely. You know, I enjoy opening weekend, opening weekend of muskie fishing without a doubt. Uh, we've had some exciting years, some, some stellar years, you know, incredible years for the last 10, 12 years, you know, global warming. Uh, last year was a little bit different. Uh, last year, the muskies uh, left the shallows, the spawning grounds, they were done, and they were out of the regular areas where I normally fish for them. And it was two to three weeks early. So uh, like that one day, we had seven muskies on and five boated up to 52 and a half inches, Kevin, in a two and a half week period. We had 50 follows, 26 muskies on, and uh, <laughs> no, excuse me, 30 some muskies on, and we had 20 some of them boated, two of them over the 40 pound class. Well, last year, everything went early, like I said, and they were done out of the two to, th- uh, two to five foot range, shallow water, and they were hanging on the secondary structure, which was sitting anywhere from six to ten feet. And they were pretty lethargic. They didn't want to move. You know, we had to change our game plan. I try, you know, I was willing to try that newer, lure. It was called a stick of dynamite, but it's a little illegal. So, uh, <laughs> we did have some good luck with top water and some, uh, spinner baits, but, you know, we got some action, but I think, like you just said, it's going to affect everything, Kevin, and it's going to make things exciting to say the least. I can't imagine that a guy like you, when you're on the water, is not going to, you know, even if you're ostensibly fishing for panfish early in the season, I can't imagine you're not going to have your eye on the water and see if you can spot a musky, spot a northern, spot a walleye so you can get a vibe. 
Oh, definitely. You know, I've I've got my summer pretty much over halfway's booked, and I pride myself on you know enjoying a challenge and figuring things out. Uh, sometimes I wish it was the opposite; it was just there. But I'm definitely going to be watching the shallows, looking to see if the muskies are still in the shallows. You'll see the walleyes in the shell, like you said in Northern Pike. They'll tell you what's happening. It's going to be um, it's going to be par for the course. I think if we have a normal year, I think everything is going to be ahead and everything, and it's going to be fun. Uh, to say the least, like I said before, it's going to be a challenge. I hate to repeat myself, but it makes you wonder, too, what's the other people going to do? I think that's why we're discussing this, is we're trying to open up everybody's eyes. You better have a game plan, pre-arranged game plan, on, okay, so they're not in the shallows, they're not sitting on that rock reef on Lake Bemidji like normal, they're not sitting on that uh, great big sandbar over by um, the west side of Malaxic by Eddie's Resort like they usually are. So where are they going to be? I think it's like we said before. Check out the secondary structures where they move off of the from the spawning ground. Check out the third structure, you know, your primary structure. Maybe they're moving out to the mudflats already on Mille Lacs Lake. Water temperature is going to be increased. Maybe they're moving out to the deep water in Bemidji. It's going to be a hit-and-miss game plan. But uh, one nice thing is when I'm out pan fishing and checking, I can also go out to the deeper water and watch my sonar. Uh, I know a lot of guys and gals, you know, they got brand-new sonars, but they don't believe it. You know, one story I had a few years ago was two old gentlemen pulled up near a boat dock, and they were talking about, you know, what a terrible day. I said, you know, guys, excuse me. I said, you know, a bad day. They said, well, we slaughtered the walleyes yesterday. We went back to the same spot. We spent all day there, sir. We didn't see a thing. I said, well, did you see any fish on that brand-new sonar you got? The guy goes, no, we didn't see a single fish. I said, why did you stay there? He goes, you can't believe that sonar. <laughs> I said, whoever t- yeah, and I, I said, whoever told you that's an idiot? And the guy next to him in the boat says, sir, I'm the one who told him, you know, you can't believe it. He said, I'm no idiot. Well, I said, believe me, did you catch a fish? He goes, no. I says, you answered your own question. <laughs> uh, Steve, you're, you're a wily veteran. You've been around the block. You've, you've seen all kinds of weather conditions. I know uh, people were a little concerned even last fall that it was kind of dry and, and water te- uh Water lovers were down. We didn't get a lot of snow this year. We haven't had a lot of rain yet. What's uh, what's your uh, veteran sense telling you about where water levels are going to be this year? Oh, that's a great question. Even my pond is three feet low way up north by the Canadian border. I think we're looking at it's going to concentrate the fish into different areas. Unless we get a massive amount of rain, Kevin, or snow. Right now, I don't care what form it comes and I take either one. We're going to have very low conditions. The big pond, Malax, could be down two, three feet. That's a lot considering how huge it is, the second largest lake in the state. You're looking at the surrounding lakes and the surrounding area by Malax, like that we love to chase walleyes and there's a panfish on. They're going to be down by at least a foot to three feet of water. You may, we may have a challenge getting on these smaller lakes with the landings the way they are, too. You know, that dock could be really pretty high up, and you'd have to, you know, take that boat with a trailer and take it way out much further than normal. Is that worth it? Had a case last year, Kevin, where we backed all the way up, and I had the front tires in the sand, and the boat still was on the trailer. I said, no way. This isn't worth it. We had to travel an extra 80 miles to find an access that was better. Mm. So it's going to make for all-around interesting news for fishing. It's going to make some people take a look at a different idea, a different approach, and maybe even fish a different lake than your favorite lake. Keep all that in mind, folks. You know, If you don't have everything going for you, like I said before, and I'm repeating, I sound like a broken record, have a secondary plan, even a third plan ready to go. Well, I, I know, Steve, we talked last week. You were getting your rods and reels ready. You were t- taking a look at your lures and your your inventory. 
uh, doing all of that stuff. Um, I'm just remind people one more time, you know, those who haven't done it yet, which is probably a lot. Uh, what are some of the things they can be doing right now to get ready for when they do hit the water? Great question, Kevin. Take care of your equipment now. Have everything ready. Don't be that person at the landing who decides, hey, I better take that dresser drawer out of my boat. I better get this out of my boat when it's your turn to back up. Have that boat ready. Now you want to take care of your fishing equipment as well. I tell everybody, if you've got a rotten reel and you're a fisherman, you've got a dirty cork handle. You know, it's just going to happen. You're baiting and bait all day, live bait, worms, minnows. You're taking fish off, slimy northern pike, which I love. And that goes on the cork handle, and that stinks. And that adds a lot of, you could actually rot your cork after a while. So like I tell everybody, take some warm, warm dish soap, dove or don, wash the handles real good. You'd be surprised. It brings them back to life. It dries them out a little bit quicker and nicer and easier, and it adds more sensitivity. Make sure your eyes of your rods are clean and everything. Make sure there's no cracks in them. Nothing worse than losing a trophy of a lifetime because there was a crack in the eye and everything. So make sure you take a good care of that. Wash your rod down. Clean that rod off and everything, you know. Hey, you paid good money for it. I know some guys pay up to $600, $700 for a rod, but don't take care of them. Seriously? I wish I had that kind of money to fool around. <laughs> take care of your reel. Spinning outfits, take them apart and make sure the bale and everything is greased, you know. Make sure the uh, worm drive on your bait casters is lubricated. Take that dirt off. Get down in there and clean it the best you can. If you're like me, I can do the exterior work pretty good. I can cosmetics. But when it comes to taking the motor apart inside my vehicle, that's for an expert, and that's the same thing with my reels. Let an expert take them apart, do a good job on them. It prolongs the life of them. You know, make sure simple mechanics like that is taken care of. From there, I already got my tackle box. I took a look at it, and I closed it right away. This was a week ago. <laughs> Open it up again, you know, the sunshine didn't go shining out of it like normal, like it's already happy to see me. It was a discombobulation mess. Got that taken care of, got it figured out. All my one-eighth jigs in one side, all the way up to three-eighths. See, everybody's got their own separate place, and everybody's happy with that. I've got all my plugs taken care of, you know, my Rapalas and Normarks. Everything is all sitting in different sections in their own little area. Next, take care of those hooks. Sharpen those hooks. Nothing worse than losing a fish, like I said, to an eye that's got a crack in it. But one is worse is losing a fish to a dull hook. There's three sides of a hook to sharpen. They're both sides, and then you can either sharpen the top or the bottom. That's either side, left and right, and then do the top or the bottom. So that's three sides you sharpen. Make sure they're taken care of. Clean that tackle box up. Get rid of all the foreign smells. Get rid of all the dirt in there, and you're going to be doing pretty good and everything. Have your life jackets in your boat ready. Have your uh, cushion ready or your flotation devices ready. If you've got a big boat, make sure you have your fire extinguisher ready. If um, Another thing you can do is take care of, make sure it's all clean. Wash that carpet first, vacuum the heck out of it, then wash it. And if you have to, spray it with Scotch Guard. So when your buddy comes in with dirty, muddy feet or your dog or your kids, you can wash it off again. You know, the main thing is have fun in everything. And if you're not prepared, you're not going to have fun. I wrote an article for Outdoor News two years ago talking about that very thing we and I just started talking about getting ready. There was a guy at the landing. He was the seventh in line. And it was opening day. I sat there. I wasn't even fishing. I just went there to watch the falling. By the time Mr. Seven in line gets to his turn to back his boat in is when he decides to take that dresser out of the boat, the two inner tubes, the small box spring little bed, and two bikes. He decided to take them out then when he was at the landing. He couldn't figure out why three guys waiting behind him were mad. He, you know, just didn't dawn on him. Yeah. But, uh, don't be that guy. 
you know. <laughs> get everything done ahead of time. You should be in and out of the water within under five minutes and not worry about taking care of all the other mess that's in your boat. Have it done ahead of time. You know, fly under the radar. Don't draw attention and have fun, folks. That's basically it. Always good stuff from Steve Sapaniak of uh, Predator Guide Service. Steve, if we want to do a trip on Le- Mille Lacs Lake with you later this year, how do we get set up for that? Well, go to my website. Thank you, Kevin. You know, PredatorGuideService.com, PredatorGuideService.com. Uh, check out everything. Like I said, we got a couple muskies up to 50 pounds on that thing. Uh, also, give me a call. You can leave a message on my home phone, 320 Three, five. You know, and I do walleye guiding. This year we can keep walleyes, you know, uh, keep one in the slot limit and uh, 21 to 23 and one over 28 inches. Our best day was uh, 76 walleyes boated. So, you know what? It's like going to Canada. You catch a trophy of a lifetime. Malax has them. You take a picture in Canada and you throw it back. Same thing on Malax. Enjoy it. So give me a call. Let's get something going, folks. All right, Steve. Thanks for your time. As always, we enjoy talking to you and have a great week. My pleasure, Kevin. Thank you. Now let's check back in with Bruce Jean of Rainy Lake Guide Service. What else is going on up there? Well, uh, there's there, the right now uh, the ice is getting a little a little fragile right mm-hmm. now, if you will. But uh, the last few weeks we've been on a crappie bite on Rainy Lake that's been second to none. Icing nice fourteens to sixteen inches. Um, you know we're keeping the fish from ten to twelve. We might keep one a little over 12, but anything bigger than that, we let them go just because of the spawning that they produce. So, um, But, yeah, the, the crappie bite in 40, anywhere from 38 to 48, 50 feet of water has been phenomenal. So, um, you know, that, that's been good. The, the northern pike fishing, uh, it's been fun tip-up fishing with those, put a big sucker minnow down and just let them work. And uh, we've been icing some nice, uh, and nothing real big yet, 38, 37, 38 inch pike, but the fly fishing's been good for that too. So there's a lot. This, this time of the year is so much fun when the weather gets warm and everyone wants to get outside. So, yeah, you know, the thing about crappie bites, it's fun and it's tempting to just fill up your boat, but you can, you can destroy a good crappie bite in real short order if you aren't responsible and don't, uh, you know, practice a pretty good catch and release ethic. It, it, Exactly, and that's like any fish as well, but mm-hmm. the crappie especially, you know, they, you really need to let those bigger go, and, and you know, a lot of people are getting good at that now. There's a few that still think that they caught it, and it's not, there's not a slot size, so I'm going to eat it, you know, so that's kind of unfortunate. So. i got to tell you, though, everything I need to know about Rainy Lake crappie is in this statement. Uh, you keep the 11 and 12 inchers, and you let the big ones go. That's... <laughs> Yeah, well, it's kind of uh, it's kind of funny for that, isn't it? But yeah. um, you know, any you you keep a, a eleven inch crappie on Rainy Lake, and and they have shoulders to them. That's the nice thing about the fish on Rainy is they're healthy, they're thick, and they have beautiful color to them. But they're they're not like the metro or or the crappies down south where they're thinner and you you know you hold them up to the sun, and you can see right through them. So there's a lot of meat on the crappies that that were catching on rainy and, and that's that's fun so it just sounds like you know rainy lake is not just a great lake for all these wonderful fish but they're really healthy too they grow well they do they do it and you know again a few reasons for it but the bait fish is is definitely strong and healthy so that helps helps a lot you know we spend a lot of time talking about rainy lake with you but apparently uh, you're becoming quite the malax angler as well well kev you know 
people hear the, the Mille Lacs, uh, you know, there's no fish on Mille Lacs and it's dead on Mille Lacs. And, you know, I, I've been fishing Mille Lacs, you know, working down in the metro area now the last 18 years. And I've been fishing Mille Lacs in the opener in that time frame after. And it, it's really a great fishery. You know, the, the jig and a shiner bite on opener for the first few weeks up in the rocks, up near the shallows or, or anywhere on structure for that matter. And, and the, the walleye bite is phenomenal. Then in the evening, you know, from that 8.30 to 10 o'clock or opening weekend till 2, 3 in the morning, um, the slip bobber and a leech bite is phenomenal. I mean, we're, we're going out. I had a, a guide trip here with, with a, a father and a son, and it was last June 2nd, and we boated 102 walleyes in three and a half hours. We went through a pound of leeches. So um, the, the bite is definitely there on the lax, and it's a lot of fun when you get into them. So. Yeah, there's that, and then they've got some great pike on that lake. They've got uh, muskies on that lake. And, you know, you actually spend the bulk of your time fishing in two of the prime bass waters in the, in the nation and, and the state of Minnesota. When are you going to start catching bass? What, 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 what is this bass you speak of, Kev? <laughs> <laughs> I know every interview you want me to talk about. <laughs> well, you always fish where there's a lot of good bass fishing. I know, and, and I, I have some dumb luck and occasionally bump into a big bass or two on the lax, and boy, I tell you, they're a lot of fun to catch, and if, if a guy knew what they were doing out there for bass, it'd be a lot of fun, and we, you know, we do go out and catch a few, and there's great bass fishing on Rainy as well, and you know, it's, it's, it's just a fun species, but when people think Rainy Lake, they think of that big walleye bite, you know, a shore lunch on a, your own deserted campsite and, and island, and so there's a lot of fun to be had with both of those. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that smallmouth or even largemouth bass fishing is, is a lot of fun. And it's, someday I might just try that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, Mille Lacs is a, is a lake. You mentioned it. You know, people don't think a lot about the, the walleyes anymore. They think they aren't they aren't there anymore. That's not the case. They're, they're protecting them, but there's plenty of them there, and there's plenty of action to be had. There are. Yep, yep. And, it, and it's, it's definitely... Um, growing as well you know the amount of the catch rate is, is growing every year it's better and better for sure all right so um so bruce uh we're, we're getting ready for again that key sturgeon bite that early walleye bite on rainy it, it's just um with all the great times to fish rainy that seems to be the one i hear the most about but it's just it's just a few weeks in in a whole year of really great fishing opportunities up there for sure, for sure. And, you know, I, I don't want to overlook the walleye bite that we have on rainy on opener. You know, the, the walleyes on rainy for opening weekend and, you know, the first few weeks, if you tip your jig, quarter-ounce jig, eighth-ounce jig with a minnow, shiner, whatever your preference is or, or whatever you feel is the best, and you pick it in the store or you're, you're, you're travel, trolling with a spinner along in the shallows, the, the walleye bite is excellent on rainy that time of the year. The spring bite, it, it's it's so much fun, and they just attack it. They fight, and they're just mad when they bite. You bring them up, you net the fish, and their gills are flaring. And, you know, it's it's just a type of fish that you don't normally see, and, you know, throughout the rest of the summer where they're a little more stagnant, uh, but just a lot of fun. So it's early bite, a lot of good times. All right. Well, listen, Bruce, if people are heading up to either Rainy or Mille Lacs and want to use uh, your guide service, Rainy Lakes Guiding, how do they get set up? 
Sure. You can uh, check us out at rainlakeguiding.com or give us a call, 763-238-7507. And, um, you know, we'll help you out, get you in the right location, right direction on, on putting yourself on some good fish. So appreciate it. Bruce Jean knows how to catch fish, and he uh, gets to fish at a couple of really great waters, uh, Rainy Lake a lot, Rainy River a lot, and Malax more and more. Uh, Bruce, thanks for taking the time today. It's always great to talk to you. Kev, much appreciated. Take care. That's it for this week. We're going to talk bear next week. I want to remind you, as we get into the fishing season, we're going to have a lot of great stuff. We're going to ask the aquatic biologist. We're going to check out the lakes of the week. Tons of great stuff coming up as we get close to the soft water walleye opener. That's it for today. I'm Kev Jackson. Thanks for joining us. Happy Easter. Happy Easter.